The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. More information about the church is available at www.gracefcwesterville.org. If you'll turn to Joshua chapter 8, and before I actually get into the message uh, that I planned this morning, I want to kind of tie up a loose end from last week. And it's really not a loose end, but it just the first two verses of chapter 8 really carry the thought and the theme that we looked at last week. Joshua 8, verses 1 and 2. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you. Arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hands the king of Ai and his people, his city, and the land. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoils and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it, and then for the next verses, he goes on to display, to uh, convey the tactic that they're to use in taking Ai. Uh, Joshua was, was instructed to take 30,000 men, and they went up to Ai, and they took a large portion of that fighting men, and they hid them behind the city. And then when Joshua's men went to the city, and the fighting men of Ai came out, they turned and ran as if they were going to be defeated like the last time. And so they drew all the soldiers out to chase them in battle, and that when they left the city, the other ambushers went into the city, burned it, and defeated the city. And when the soldiers saw what was happening behind them in the city, they turned to rush back to the city, and then the soldiers in the city came out, and then Joshua turned and went back, and they caught them in an ambush, and they defeated the city. Very ingenious plan. But what I want you to see this morning that is absolutely critical here, the very first thing I want you to see is that they had to go back and face the place of their defeat. Before they could go on, before they could continue on, they had to go back and face their defeat. But God said to Joshua, do not fear And do not be dismayed. In other words, don't worry about it. Don't get stressed over it. Because I have given you into your hands the king of Ai, the people, the city, the land. It's all been done. Just like when they went into Jericho, the battle was won before it started. Now, you recall that there was sin in the camp, which is what led to the first defeat at Ai, total humiliation, the death of 36 men. But when they went God's way, they couldn't lose. And so there's a monumental lesson that they have to learn here. So there's two things I want us to get out of these first two verses before we go on this morning. First of all, God gave Ai over to Joshua and his troops. It was done before it started. But secondly, God gave the plunder to the people. Now look at verse 2 again. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and his king. Only the spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Now here's the crazy thing. If only Achan had waited. Achan couldn't wait. He had to have it now. And he violated God's command to take what he couldn't wait for. 
And if he had only patiently waited, he would have gotten it all at the next battle. Now, I can't help thinking and wondering about the victories and the rewards missed by God's people because we cannot wait. And we take matters into our own hands. The difference between Achan not waiting and waiting was his own demise and the death of his whole family. What a price to pay. And one of the things you and I need to really grab onto, because we don't live in the Old Testament, we have a tendency to grab onto grace and abuse it. Oh, God's, God's forgiving. He's, and of course he's forgiving. He's forgiving for, forgiven for them. That's why he set up the sacrifices. But you and I need to understand that God is holy. He was holy in the Old Testament. He's holy in the New Testament. He was holy to Joshua and Israel. He's holy to Grace Fellowship Church. And what God would do if we would faithfully rely on him and follow his way. So let's move into the heart of the Old Testament here because we're prone to look at the Old Testament as a negative, scary place where you couldn't move. But how wonderful to know exactly how you were to live, what you could get away with, what you couldn't get away with. And if you did mess up, you found out instantly. Uh, it's, it's, It's agreed upon by most Old Testament scholars that the heart of the Old Testament law is Deuteronomy. And the heart of Deuteronomy is the list of blessings and cursings found in chapters 27 and 28. Deuteronomy presupposes the unconditional covenant of God with Abraham by which the Jews were chosen to be God's people. But it moves from this fixed point to show the blessings and lack of blessings by by, uh, being obedient to what God says. And this is unfolded in the middle chapters because on the one hand, chapter 27, you have a listing of all the curses if they disobey. And on the other hand, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 through 7, you have the listing of the blessings if they do obey. And then these sections are followed by two chapters that call for renewal of the covenant and and ends with a call to the people to obey God's blessings. So let's look a little deeper at these cursings and blessings. Because you start to sense that curses and blessings are very important to God. Have you ever had, the, had a conversation with your child laying down the rules and what will happen if they don't obey? You know, you've probably had this experience in a lot of cases in, in raising your kids. You want them to have a clear understanding of what will happen if they don't obey? For one reason, because you don't like to punish your children. Well, who does? So you clearly set the boundaries and subsequent punishment if they cross those boundaries. But sometimes we think we're obedient by just going through the motions. You know, I come to church, I'm in a small group, I pray. But what if nothing doesn't change in your life? Let me, let me show you a cute little clip here to illustrate what I mean. It's kind of a tongue-in-cheek thing, and I, some of you have seen this already. In fact, I think I've shared it with some of you. 
But just uh, check this out a little bit. The students are going to like this. What's the deal? What? I told you three days ago to clean your room. I know. Well, I'm glad you know. It's a mess. I memorized what you said. What do you mean you memorized what I said? Every word. Wait, you memorized that I told you to clean your room? Yes. And I learned how to say it in Spanish and in Hebrew. And if you want to know how to say it in Spanish, it's Yo Limpio El Dormitorio. That's, that's what, that's stand, Spanish. 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 Okay. And I um, read a book. It's called Five Ways to Clean Your Room. It just really helped me to understand, like, what you said. And it was really life-changing. It was awesome. And I had friends from my small group over. It was so good. We talked about, like, the importance of a clean room and, like, what it's like to have a clean room and, like, how you should have a clean room. It was so so good. It was absolutely incredible. And Susie came over. You remember? Yeah. She came over and we like mapped it out on a sheet of paper on what my room would have been like if I, when I did clean it. And it looked really good. Like it, everything was really precise. Uh, okay. Well, um, keep up the, <laughs> keep up the good work. Thanks. I love you. He's holding me accountable. Yeah. That's just a little cute thing, but is it true? I mean, how often do we go through the motion, say the right things, do the right things, but nothing changes in here. Nothing surrenders totally to God. Do we allow the word of God to transform us? And you see, this is what's really happening here with Joshua. They're not just going through motions. They're learning to be transformed as the people of God so that they think and they breathe and the desires of their heart is to walk with God. And nothing has changed down through our time today. God, in simple love, is setting those boundaries so that the people can experience his lavish love. He wants to bless. So do you get the picture of how ridiculous it is to live on our own, to deny him and do life our way? You can only lose. And you see, the blessings and cursings were listed by Moses on the other side of the Jordan and then repeated on this side of the Jordan uh, according to Moses' instructions. 
Moses even said, Moses even said that exactly where the ceremony was to take place, it was supposed to be on the sides of Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim in Joshua Bay. Now, Ai stood at the high western end of the approach to the hill country from the Jordan. And in order to conquer Canaan, they had to go through and defeat Jericho and Ai. And Jericho was the guiding force or the protective force on the lower region, and Ai was the protecting force on the higher region. And after the the victories at Jericho and Ai, you would have thought that they would immediately headed down the road and started going to the south and defeating the more heavily fortified cities. But that's not what they did. After the victories, what they did was they obeyed God and they took a 25-mile detour to the place that Moses had prescribed. In other words, they chose to be obedient to God's instructions to Moses and to take care of the reading of the blessings and the cursings to establish them in the hearts and the minds of the people. When they came across the Jordan in the first place, when we expected them to fully go after Jericho, when they were scared, their hearts had melted, the Bible says, they didn't do that. They reinstituted circumcision. They celebrated the Passover. Their hearts had to be right with God. And now they have just defeated Ai, and they're loaded for bear to go after the rest, but they have to stop and obey God. You see a pattern developing here. No one can go into battles of any kind without their heart right with God. And none of us here today can face the giants in our life, those, those difficult high walls that we face, without having God in the right place. And this is what the people of the people did at Abel, Abel, uh, Ebal and Gerasim after defeating Ai and assumed control of the low and the high roads. They did it in precise obedience to Moses' commands. In fact, Moses said in Deuteronomy 27, verses 12 through 13, When you have crossed over the Jordan, these shall stand at Mount Gerizim to bless the people, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these shall stand on Mount Ebal for the curse, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. So the Levites were to read the curses in 27, after which the people would shout, Amen. And followed that, the blessings were to be read in Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 4, across on the other mountain, and that the people were to do the same thing. So Joshua 8, back in our text, verses 33 through 35, it says, and all Israel, sojourners as well as native-born. So what you understand is that there are a lot of people who aren't Jews who have come to join them because of God. Rahab was one such person. So sojourners as well as native-born with their elders and officers, their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Lev- Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them on front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at the first to bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. It must have been a very impressive time, a very moving experience 
curses if you don't obey, blessings if you do obey. I mean, it's just kind of laying it out there, clear as a bell. So I want you to notice an unforgettable lesson then that they are beginning to learn. Because the fact that this message was originally preached by Moses before the people entered into the land was acted on a second time in total obedience to what he said. It's interesting to note that the ground in the very, or the very character of God is being put forth in this obedience. It's to be seen always in his relationship to the people. So having experienced the problem with Achan and its effect on the whole nation would have a clear lesson of the reality of what God is talking about. No one was exempt. Achan sinned, the nation suffered. Sin dealt with, the nation is blessed. And on and on it would continue throughout the whole Old Testament and now continues even into our time today. So let's, let me give you four takeaways right here that are very important for us to understand. Number one, God was directing the battle, and he's directing your life. God was directing their battle, and he is directing your life. Israel was God's people, and if you've come to Christ and surrender your life to Christ, you too are God's people. And just as he directed Israel, he will direct you. Number two, the people were obeying God in their conduct of, throughout this. Are we? Total obedience. Number three, God is a benevolent God who wishes to bless Israel with victory. And he desires to bless you and me with victory today. So whatever it is you're struggling with, be it vice, fear, lack of faith, Romans 8.31, for God is for us, who can be against us? I mean, allow that verse to just penetrate your heart. If you are genuinely a child of God who has surrendered your life to God, God is not only for you, but who can possibly stand against you? That's the same message that Israel is learning. Because when Israel obeyed God, nobody could stand before him. Not even raging rivers or red seas. Nothing could stand before him. Psalm 84.11, no good thing does he withhold from them who walk uprightly. No good thing. Still want to do life your own way? I mean, the tools are there, folks. It's laid out for us so plainly when you surrender everything to Christ, not just give lip service like the video and do all the little kitschy things that go with it, but when you actually clean the room, when you actually clean your heart. That's what he's talking about here. And number four, God is all-powerful, and he's more powerful than your problems. So when the people moved up to take Ai and suffered a horrible defeat, they knew something was wrong. It was disobedience. It was only after the sin was exposed and judgment was handed out to Achan that the blessings returned. It was God's intention all along to bless the Jews in their conquest. 
But the blessing was contingent on their continual obedience to his commands. Somehow, we've got the idea that as long as I've prayed this so-called sinner's prayer, I'm safe. But I'm telling you, if there's no changed heart, what really happened? I want you to notice here that this lesson was played out in their continuing history. And I want you to see God's wonderful provision that takes place here. Because the ceremony taught on Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim teaches more than the principle of obedience leading to blessing and disobedience leading to uh, blessing, or disobedience leading to a lack of blessing. It also teaches God's solution to the problem of sin in every life. Because you'll notice in Joshua 8, 30 through 35, instructions on building an altar on which the law was written. And this, too, was an exact fulfillment of the commands given by God to Moses. Moses penned in Deuteronomy 27, verses 2 through 8, And on the day you cross over the Jordan to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall set up large stones and plaster them with plaster, and you shall write on them all the words of the law. When you cross over to enter the land that the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you. And when you have crossed over the Jordan, you shall set up these stones concerning which I commanded you today on Mount Ebo, and you shall plaster them with plaster. And there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall not wield you shall, you shall wield no iron tool on them. You shall build an altar to the Lord your God of uncut stones, and you shall offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. And you shall sacrifice peace offerings <clears throat> and shall eat there, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. And you shall write on the stones all the words of this law very plainly. Now we go back to our text in Joshua chapter 8, beginning in verse 30. So it says, at the time Joshua built an altar to the Lord and God of Israel on Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there, in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote, on the stones, a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. Now, this is amazing for three reasons. First, on the great occasion when the law of Moses was forcefully and visibly relayed to the people, writing the law down on the stones, the altar was also constructed as a solution to the problem of those who would fall. So even here, we see the mercy of God. In other words, it was God's solution to the sin problem. And God knows in our sinful state, we're going to blow it. He knew Israel was going to blow it. He knows you and I are going to blow it because he knows we're messy. He knows we have issues in this sinful human body that's depraved. In a sin-cursed world, we're going to have problems. And this had been the lesson all along. In fact, if you recall, when God gave Moses the law on Sinai, he gave it at a time 
uh, he gave at that t- same time the regulations regarding sacrifices. And when Moses gave was given as the lawgiver, Aaron was given as the high priest. So the mercy of God that we talk about today was just as real in the Old Testament. And it was pointing towards the coming of Christ, the great sacrifice. You see, sin, sin brings judgment. The judgment of sin is death. But the sacrifice shows that it is possible for an innocent victim to die in the place of a sinner. And that's why they used animals, because there were no, sin, uh, no innocent people. So they had to use animals, but the animals pointed forward to the time when Christ would come to pay that ultimate price. So it is by faith in his death for us that we escape sin's punishment. Second, when the altar was constructed by Joshua in obedience to the commands of Moses, it was not constructed in the valley. It was not even constructed on Mount Gerizim, but it was constructed on Mount Ebal. Now, why was this? Well, it was made clear in Deuteronomy 27, verses 12 through 13 that we saw a few moments ago. When you have crossed over the Jordan, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these shall stand on Mount Ebal for the curse, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, Naphtali. So Ebal, Ebal was the place of the curse. Mount Ebal was the place where the sins had to be paid for. Mount Ebal was the place where people came, not as righteous people, but as sinners to have their sins forgiven. So it's interesting that a thousand years later, the Samaritans built their altar on Mount Gerizim and not Mount Ebal. So when the woman of Samaria told Jesus in in John 4.20, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. She was pointing to Mount Gerizim. Jesus responded by turning her away from the mountain and to him. The chief characteristic of the Samaritans of that day is that they were very self-righteous. The Samaritans would not come to God as sinners confessing their sins and needing substitutionary sacrifice. They came as self-righteous people. And this is why they built their altar on Gerizim, because they considered themselves to be above it, just like many people do today. Consequently, the first thing Jesus did with the woman was to expose her spiritual ignorance. He said, Samaritans worship what you do not know. And then he exposed her sin. You have had five husbands, and the man you know, you now have or now have, is not your husband. They built their altar on Mount Gerizim because they refused to see themselves as sinners. And Jesus made very short order of that because all are guilty before God. All are in need of a Savior. And then finally, the altar constructed on Mount Ebal was to be of natural stones with no human workmanship added. The principle is that it is a denial of the thought that human beings can add anything to their salvation. They cannot. Salvation is by grace through faith in the work of God alone. And you see, the Israelites had to express faith in God for the victories. 
And this was the whole problem with Achan. Because you recall, the scripture says, Achan, or the people of Israel, broke faith. You remember we said that the definition of faith, the purest definition, is obeying God. So when he broke faith, he disobeyed God, and the result was death. All of us are in need of a Savior. The Bible said, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that same love is still essential today. And it's not just a matter of coming to God as a sinner, thereby taking your place, as it were, on Mount Ebal. I mean, this is absolutely essential. There is no place for self-righteousness in God's presence. But it is not enough. Nor is it enough to come to the place of sacrifice, thereby acknowledging your need for another to die for you. In addition to these absolute essential things, it is necessary to come acknowledging that there is nothing absolutely nothing that you can contribute to your salvation efforts. Jonathan Edwards said it best. You contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. That's all we bring, folks. The reformers expressed this truth by the two phrases, sola fide and sola gratia. It means faith alone, and by grace alone. Augustus Tople put it like this, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I, I to the fount, er, foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Christ's cross is that fountain. He's the rock, the cleft for us. If we come to him, we will have the shelter and the cleansing and also receive the power to begin to live in the blessed hope that he offers. You can have this life. You can have victory but only when you helplessly come to the cross. God was making it very clear to these people, trust me and let me lavish the blessings on you. Come to me, surrender to me, and watch how I move for you. Watch how I move the obstacles. Watch how I move Jericho and Ai and all these battles. Watch how I will destroy the Anakims, the giants. Watch how I will move everything out of your path if you trust me. And friends, this morning, the message is exactly the same. It doesn't mean you're going to have a life of ease, comfort, and pleasure. It doesn't mean your troubles go away. We live in a sin-cursed world. Good people die. Bad people succeed. But when you wholly obey God, he changes your heart and gives you the daily victories that you need to get you on to glory. The question this morning is, who do you want to obey? Yourself or Christ Jesus the Lord? 
if God has promised to meet all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus, then that's exactly what he's going to do for you. But you have to obey. You have to surrender to him. What do we say week in, week out, quoting John 3.30? He must increase, but I must decrease. Would that you and I could step back and let him lead us and allow this Holy Spirit that he gave us. You know, one of the most remarkable things to me when I look at Israel and I see that when they obeyed, God did these great things, is that for you and I today, when, the whole, when God saves you, he gives you the Holy Spirit. Do you realize that? The very Spirit of God dwells in your heart. And the Bible says that the, one of the roles of the Spirit is to guide you into all truth. So when you pray and surrender to him, he guides you towards the mark God wants for you. And this is why the song that Aubrey sang is such a powerful song, because the phrase that says, what if your trials are blessings in disguise? I'm here to tell you, that's exactly what they are, but only to the child who wholly follows God. Will you follow him this morning? And Heavenly Father, we come to you now, Lord, understanding so clearly that you demand obedience, not just to take our fun away, not just to put us in a very rigid, legalistic life, but to put us in a place where you can bless us because you love us. You sent your son to die to purchase us for eternity. Why would, you, would we ever believe that you have anything less for us? You loved us with a cross. And just as you guided Joshua through these battles, when they began to obey your word and follow you, there was nothing on earth that could stand in their way. And Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning who's struggling. I pray that you'd penetrate their heart to know that there is answers, there is peace, there is victory. If they come to you on your terms, not their terms. If they come to you surrendering, knowing that they can bring nothing to their salvation except the sin that caused it. And Lord, I pray if there are any here this morning who don't know you as personal Savior, I pray that they would come and surrender. Seek one of us out, Lord might be able to talk to them and show them the way of grace. I pray your blessing now, Lord, on all this group. May we leave here encouraged to walk with Jesus Christ, in whose name we